Father, this evening, once again, we thank you, Father, for the gift of life, for the strength, for the time that you made it possible for us to be in your house. Speak to us, Lord. We just surrender now our bodies, our minds, everything into thy hands, O Lord. Help us to understand, Lord, what we hear. Not with human understanding, but with spiritual understanding, O Lord. Touch, Lord, touch. We put aside everything else that concerns life. And we just wait that you may teach us. Speak, Lord, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we continue, we continue our studies. Fundamentals, basics, we have to keep on going back to the fundamentals and also move on to maturity, balance both. Because sometimes, remember, uh, you are an audience and you are also a captive audience, okay? You know what a captive audience is in the old days when they had this TV serials and all, no? when they have this acting going on from the back, somebody will show a placard clap and everybody claps, smile, smile, because they are just the captive audience. The whole program is recorded for thousands who will watch on TV, but they get to enjoy it first. In the same way, don't just end up being a captive audience because others may end up hearing, believing and move on. Okay, but because in this captive audience there are new, new people coming in, we have to forever swing back and forth to fundamentals and maturity. So this evening, remember, we are individuals, we are also the church. Let's call the, the secular term institution. So you have individuals and the institution, individual and the family, individual and the church individual and the kingdom. But we are living in the age of the individual. That's why the cry is all about individual liberty. Everything is connected with individual liberty in the world. But scripture talks about a different kind of liberty in Second Corinthians chapter 3 verses 17 to 18. Scripture talks about a liberty that is different. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Okay, The Lord is the spirit. Wherever the Holy Spirit has absolute lordship of our life, we will see there is liberty. In the world, the liberty is never con- connected with that. It's a different kind of a liberty. In the world, liberty is always connected where you have complete control over your circumstances. You can do what you want without any interference. Then they call it liberty. But here, where the spirit can do with you and through you whatever he wants, that is called liberty. And m- many of the things he wants to do may be exactly the things we don't want to do. But that's liberty. We all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the, into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So as liberty increases, so does glory. And yeah, okay. So keep, keep that in your mind. So God always leads us to liberty or freedom and he keeps us, gives us the opportunity every day to choose. 
It's not that we chose one day in our life. Every day, even today, we are here because we chose. And some are not here because they did not choose. But everybody chooses. But remember, learn. Why we use the Old Testament so much is that. Without the Old Testament, honestly, we will never really understand the New Testament. One of the reasons people do not understand the New Testament is because they never read the Old Testament, they never study the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a revelation actually of the New Testament. So we learn from the history of Israel. You can go either way. God brings you Israel out. One generation will perish in the desert while another generation will possess the inheritance. Both came out of the same place. Both were freed by the same God through the same way. Why did one generation possess the promised land? Only reason? Because they followed Joshua wholeheartedly. Why didn't one generation possess the promised land? Because they did not follow Moses. As simple as that. And true liberty, you will see even there, the one who possessed the promised land, true liberty is characterized in Joshua chapter 23 and verse 1 in Israel's physical terms. And now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies around. So liberty for Israel was characterized from rest from enemies. Liberty in the spirit is characterized by rest inside in spite of all enmity and trials and tribulations you face. That's why the writer of Hebrews will say labor to enter into that rest. Rest here is physical. Rest in the new covenant is spiritual. It has got nothing to do with what we face. God promises rest, but you have to labor. Remember, these are all symbols in the Old Testament or types in the Old Testament that we in the New Testament can really understand and experience it in the spirit which they never could. All this is recorded for our sakes. We know scripture so well, but recapping. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11, after giving an entire detail about the children of Israel, Paul will say, now all these things happen to them as examples. As they were written for our admonition, for our correction. Upon whom the end of ages have come. The end of ages has come upon us. And all these things came and they were recorded as examples so that we could learn from them. So simple basics we will go first. Israel came out of Egypt through the blood. As soon as they came through the blood, the penalty of sin over their lives is broken. Because scripture is clear, the wages of sin is Death. And the penalty of sin is basically death. When the angel of death passes over Egypt, only Israelites are spared. Why? They didn't do one thing good. Only thing, Exodus 12.13, it says, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The only thing they had to do. Wages of sin is death. And the angel of death is coming. The destroyer is coming. They All they had to do is believe in the blood and apply it. So they too were not saved by good works. 
they were saved by grace through faith in the blood of the Passover lamb. The types are the same. There's no difference. Only thing we experience it differently in the spirit. In the same manner, we know Ephesians 2.8 says that we are saved by grace through faith and not by works. It's a gift of God. For Israel also it was a gift of God. For us also it was a gift of God. Only difference for them it was a Passover lamb. For us it was the lamb of God. Though Israel left Egypt, Egypt won't leave Israel. Okay. So though the penalty of sin has been broken, the power of sin will follow you. Egypt is following Israel, though Israel has left Egypt. The world will pursue us with its fears and desires, anxieties, pleasures, everything to overwhelm us, like Egypt is pursuing Israel. So God will lead them to the next stage. How to destroy the power of Egypt? Or the power of sin in our lives. In Exodus 14, verses 13 to 14, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid of this world that is pursuing you. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Okay, he says you don't have to. You just have to do what I tell you. Just do that. And verse 30 will say, So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. What did they do? They went through the Red Sea. Okay? They went through the Red Sea. How did they destroy the power of Egypt over their life? They had their baptism. Acts chapter 2, verse 40 and 41, the parallel in the new covenant. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, be saved from this perverse generation. This generation will follow you. You have to live in their midst. It's a perverse generation like Egypt. They were not going to leave you. You want to be saved from them, then be baptized. Those who received the word went through their waters and they came out and they were saved. So there is a choice we make after we leave Egypt. Life may look like a wilderness, but joy comes because of the person who is with us. And the place he is leading us to. Okay? If you look at Exodus 33 and verse 15 to 16, only one man is saying this. He said, if a present does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Israel won't say that. One man will say that, you know what, we are in the wilderness. But if you are not going with me, don't take me out. How will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us, so we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Moses is very clear. It is the only thing that distinguishes us from the rest of the world is that you are with us. That is what Christmas is all about. You shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When we read First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, you will see, Moravan brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses. They all went through water, but they were all baptized into Moses. You see the parallel in the new covenant in Romans 6, verses 1 to 4. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Verse 3. 
Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus? We went through the waters, but we were baptized into Jesus. They went through the Red Sea, they were baptized into Moses. Absolute parallels. Moses had left the throne and the treasures of Egypt and identified with the slaves to save his people. So Hebrews 11 and verse 24-25 will say, By faith Moses when he became of age refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Parallel. Jesus left the throne of heaven and the joy and the pleasures of heaven to be known no longer as just as the son of God, but to be known now as the son of man. To be identified with sinners. So Isaiah 53 verse 3 will say about Jesus, he is despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. The parallels we learn. Often, people do not experience freedom from their baptism because they think it is the water that sets them free. No. It is Christ who sets you free. You went through the waters, but you were baptized into Christ. They went through the Red Sea, but God said, I have baptized you into Moses. For Israel, it was Moses who is a type of Christ. But remember their response to Moses from the beginning till the end. Exodus 2 verse 14. First time when Moses appears in public at the age of 40 to rescue Hebrews, their response, who made you prince and judge over us? What's the first thing they say to Moses? Who made you ruler over us? Who told you you can judge us? And the last response in Numbers 14 verse 4. They said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. We don't want, don't want this guy. Okay. All the ordinances of the old covenant or the new covenant has no effect if we do not submit to the leadership of Jesus Christ. As all the ordinances Israel went through had no effect on them because they refused to submit to the leadership of Moses. That's why Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God that is connected with authority, with submission and his righteousness. Israel perished in the wilderness. Only reason? Because they rebelled against the leadership of Moses. That's why they Perish in the wilderness. The church perishes in the wilderness because it rebels against the leadership of Christ. Israel is also saved from Egypt. Church is also saved from the world. But both will perish if they rebel against the leadership of Christ. Remember what Samuel spoke to King Saul. What did he say to King Saul, the next portion, Second Samuel? Yeah. Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. 
Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. It's with great sacrifice we meet Wednesdays. Not like Sunday. Sunday it's a holiday. Wednesdays we make great sacrifices to come. But God says our sacrifices have no meaning if we don't obey the voice of the Lord. There's no meaning at all. We can be sacrificially rebellious. And we can offer our life as a burnt offering be and be under the power of witchcraft. Because he says, it doesn't make a difference to God. Moses was the meekest man, God certifies. And Jesus was the meekest man, again God certifies. And the problem is we reject the leadership of the meek. If there is a strong man like Modi, he pulls up the 500 and 1000, nobody says anything. Fidel Castro dies and the whole world is mourning when under his leadership thousands and thousands were executed. But the meek, Jesus was meek, Moses was meek. And people rebel against the leadership of those two meek people. Israel, like many Christians, honestly, many Christians are a miserable lot. Only because they left Egypt Not because they loved God so much, but because of their sufferings. After some time in the wilderness, that's a problem with memory, okay? After some time in the wilderness, they are healthy. Nobody is sick, nobody is feeble. But they forgot the taskmasters of Egypt, the whips of Egypt, the hard labor of making bricks in Egypt and making bricks without straw in Egypt. And all they can remember is the food and the entertainment. They forgot the rest. They can even put a spin to it, a real spin to it. In Numbers 11 verses 5 and 6, we remember, they forgot all the other stuff. We remember the fish which we ate freely. What is the spin they have put into it? We ate it freely. We ate it freely. Really? Ate it freely. And then, the cucumbers, let's leave it all alone. Okay? But now our whole being is dried up. What did they say? KJV will say our whole soul is dried up. They said, you have to look at the parallel from their perspective and God's perspective. God's perspective is in Psalm 106 verse 15. In Psalm 106 verse 15, He gave them what they asked, meat and fish, whatever they asked, He gave them and the soul is dried up. And they are saying, we are eating this manna and our soul is dried up. Different perspectives. Okay. They are saying, we ate manna. And we don't have anything of that old life we were used to, all the stuff we were used to in Egypt freely. And our soul is dried up. And God gives them what they ask. And God says, your soul is dried up. Isn't it interesting? That these are lessons to us. Why it's a lesson for us here. If we do not destroy the world in our hearts, all the partaking of the manna will not deliver us. Will not deliver us. We will still look and say, we are dried up. We have no joy. 
Even today when I look at faces, I don't see joy in some faces. Is it because Christ is absent? Is it because Christ didn't finish his work on the cross? Is it because the promises of Christ are empty? No, they are not. It's because of the world. Remember, Israel also had the cloud and the fire. Had the cloud and the fire. We are also promised the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. It's one-on-one. It's the same. Only experientially it is different. It's different. Learn. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, all these are written as examples to us upon whom the end of ages has come. The lesson, primary lesson we learn from the first generation is who are the only two from the entire older generation that made it into the promised land? Only two. Who is that? Joshua and Caleb. Why? Because they kept their eyes on Moses and they were the only two in the older generation who never rebelled against Moses and obeyed him implicitly. The only two. That's the why the reason they entered the promised land and got their inheritance. Aaron rebelled. Miriam did. All the leaders did. Finally, the whole congregation among the older everybody rebelled except these two. Israel, unlike us, was physically dependent on God in the wilderness every day for their provision and the way back was blocked by the Red Sea. So they couldn't literally actually go back. For us, since there is no physical barrier, nor real daily dependence, how easy is it to go back? You need to under, we need to understand, God was leading Israel to something entirely new. Before this, just a few individuals in their history knew what God was like, what his kingdom, a rough figure they had. But now a whole nation was going to be introduced, what I call a slice of heaven, to the rule of the kingdom of God. Therefore the law is given. Leave aside the sacrifices which are connected with sin. Leave that part of the law. The rest of it were laws for a civil society under God. The laws of God for a civil society under God. It's very interesting that when we look at the law from God's perspective and man's perspective, it is so different. When Noah comes out of the ark into this new world, okay, he's coming into a new world. What is the first law given to Moses, to Noah? Capital punishment. If any man sheds blood, kill him. The first law given in the new world of Noah. Capital punishment. What is the first law we are trying to take away from every constitution? Capital punishment. So that sin will thrive. God, the first law God gives over this, any man sheds blood of his brother, then he should be executed. His blood should be shed. But we don't see it from that perspective. We see it, everything, from a different perspective. For Israel, it was going to be a completely, complete shift from the life they had known earlier. Life was going to be new. Again, like I said, when we use terms, we have to be very careful. We understand the term. When I say the term, life was going to be new, it's not the same meaning with which we receive. When I say a new car or a new shirt, 
I am talking about a car, model, a car or a shirt that pre-exists. Right? So only thing I am saying that this is what a car looks like and I bought a new one. This is what a shirt looks like and I have bought a new one. We are already familiar with something. But to Israel, God was going to give something absolutely new, which means the world has never seen before. Nobody has seen a society like God was trying to make Israel into. Like I said, a small prototype of how the kingdom of God on earth will look like. Therefore, they have to be taught everything concerning this new society. That is why the law of God to Israel touched every aspect of the Israelite society. Everything. What he ate, how he dressed, how he talked, how he walked, marriage, business, work, rest, civil, criminal law. There was nothing in his life which was not touched because God is giving them something completely new. Absolutely new. In the same way, in the new covenant, when a person is saved by grace, believing in the redemptive work of Christ and is baptized, he too enters into something absolutely new. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, scripture says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, when are you in Christ? When you are baptized into Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are entering into a new life, a life we are not used to. Therefore, they had to be taught. They were given the law. We have to be taught so we see all those who are baptized in Acts chapter 2, 41. 42 begins. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The first thing that is happening in the kingdom of God with the first church is teaching. They are being taught what? The apostles' doctrine. It's interesting. Israel was given one Important instruction when they entered into the promised land. This is the instruction they were given in Joshua chapter 3 verses 2 to 4. Joshua 3, 2 to 4. I didn't give it. So it was after three days the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, When you see the ark of the covenant, the Lord your God and the priest, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. First thing they are told is that one thing. Keep your eyes on the Ark of the Covenant. Keep a space, keep your eyes, because the road you are taking is absolutely new. You have no clue where you are going. The only way you will go forward without failing without losing, is if you keep your eyes fixed on the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God. And with this, if you want to follow that Ark, and you want God to do great things in your midst, then one more attachment, that is verse 5. What is that? And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourself. Okay? 
Sunday we've been looking at sanctification. We'll continue over the days, weeks. Sanctify. One condition. Set you apart. Cleanse yourself for a holy use and God will do it. But remember, keep your eyes. In the new covenant, same instruction. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. To them, God said, sanctify and keep a distance. To us, God says, draw close and sanctify. That is the difference. To them, God said, keep a distance. Sanctify and keep a distance. To us, God doesn't put that restriction. He keeps on saying, draw closer and keep sanctifying. In James chapter 4 and verse 8, scripture says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Immediately, scripture says, the more you draw closer to God, more sanctification is required. It never stops. It stops. Anybody who thinks that I have stopped, I don't need to cleanse myself anymore, I have stopped drawing close to God. As simple as that. Draw near, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your heart, you double-minded. Every time we get closer to God, the holiness of God is revealed. Without sanctity, you will see the ark only. Through judgment, not victory. So it didn't matter whether it was Eli and his sons Hopni and Phineas who bore the ark. Or whether it was David who was bringing the ark. Without sanctity, if you try to use the ark, you died. So Hopni and Phineas will die. Uzzah will die. What caused the death? Not the Philistines, it is the ark. The ark causes judgment. The presence of God brings judgment if you try to approach God without sanctity. This is true for the church too. Drawing close to God without sanctity has its perils. Has its perils. Therefore, the cry of God to sanctify, sanctify, sanctify. But remember, when people are not interested in drawing close to the person of Jesus Christ, the person of God, the message of sanctification is lost. It's lost. So you have to preach to them a message of the world. When Israel entered the new land, they would face a host of enemies opposed to them. When we enter the new life, we are also warned we will face a host of enemies. They were told very clearly when you enter the new land in Deuteronomy 7 verse 1 and 2. The Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you. The Hittites, all that. Okay, Seven nations. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show any mercy. One of the first thing God says is that when you enter into that new land, the promised land, no compromise, no retreat, destroy them all. Into this new life we enter, God says, don't compromise with the flesh, with the world, with the devil. If you do, you will lose. You will lose. Somewhere you will stop. No compromise, no retreat. The threefold enemies, the flesh, the world, 
the devil. No compromise, no retreat. This is a battle all your life. God's answer to them is different from God's answer to us. To them, God says, he will fight. And Joshua is leading. Here also Jesus leads. But the way is different. God's answer here is the cross. God's answer for our victory is the cross. God's answer to their victory there is the sword. Here it is the cross. But with a difference. When we hear the cross, we hear the cross different from Jesus. Jesus experienced the cross as an instrument. Physical instrument. We are called to the experience of the cross, not as an instrument, to the experience of the cross daily. He didn't say, get on the cross and get somebody crucify you. He says, pick up your cross daily and follow me. In Galatians 2.20, Paul will say this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, first, he says, I have died to my self-life. That is the only way the flesh can be destroyed daily, the cross. In Galatians chapter 6, again 14 to 16, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It is through the cross the world is destroyed daily. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. A new creation is daily crucifying the flesh and daily overcoming the world. Even it fails, goes back, pleads, confesses, repents, receives forgiveness, continues the fight. And verse 16, and as many as walk according to this rule. That's the rule of the kingdom. As many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. Peace and mercy upon them. Upon whom? Upon the Israel of God. They were God's Israel. We are the Israel of God. As many as walk according to this rule, God says, what will you have? You will have peace. You will have peace. And that's what Paul says in the book of Romans. And ultimately the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Will crush Satan under your feet. So the new creation is the only thing that matters. Why? Why is that a new creation? Now now we are going from this in a little different tangent. Okay, Because the new creation, that is the person in us, is being prepared to live In Revelation 21, verses 1 to 3, I saw a new heaven, a new earth, and I saw the new city. This new person is being prepared for another place. That is where you and I have to look at. If I am still, after so many years in the Lord, still very comfortable and content and happy with this world, I am not being prepared for the other place. There is something wrong in me. There's something wrong in the teaching I have received. There's something wrong. This new creation is the only thing that matters, God said. Nothing else matters. The new creation is in me. And all the old things have passed away. But if I'm finding my joy or my sorrow, my contentment in this world and the things of this world, there is something wrong with me. There's something. I haven't, I have somehow, I have not received the message. Because I'm being prepared for a world which is going to be absolutely new. 
Absolutely new. Paul will say about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and put in this in terms of a race. Don't you know those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. They do it to win, obtain a perishable crown, but be for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body, bring it to subjection, lest when I have priest to others, I myself should not be disqualified. He talks a term. He says, I don't want to be disqualified. What is he saying? He says, okay, you are saved, but you are in a race. Run to win. Run to win. You see, we have these things which we accept so common and so natural. Of course, now things have changed, but I'm talking about my days, my times. When you were in the sports field or whether you were at school, there was first rank, second rank, third rank. Uh, Only yeah, three steps, you stand. Okay, one, two, three. There was this. There was no GPA. Okay, no GPA and all. This is first rank, second rank, or third. Nobody ever asked, "Are you fourth? Question: When you got home, are you first? No. Are you second? No. Are you third? No. And after that, they will say, "Go sit and study." Okay. Nobody asked fourth or fifth. No. So, in this race, there are only three prizes. First prize, second prize, third prize. There is no fourth prize. First prize, New Jerusalem. Second prize, heaven. New heaven. Third prize, new earth. There is no fourth place. Fourth place, if you want to go, it's called hell. (laughs) Okay? And we don't want to go there. In each of these places... You experience the same God differently. That is why the entire gospel is about a person. It is not about a place. Because all these things which God talks about overcoming is possible only if you love God and love Jesus. Otherwise it's not possible. All the doctrine won't change anybody. That's what he's telling the, even the efficient church. You're doctrinally, you're perfect, but you know what? You still do not love me with that first love. You will still be disqualified. Because I know you can't finish. You can't finish. That's why love is the most powerful. That's why scripture says faith, hope, and charity, but love. When we talk about love, love has that power of sacrifice, giving up anything for the one who he or she loves. That's the power of love. And that's what God is talking about. These types are there in the old covenant. We learn it from the old covenant. Every Israelite could enter the outer courts. Anybody could. Anybody. All 12 tribes could move into the outer courts. But to move into the holy place, it would cost them first their self-life. You want to move into the next level? It will cost them their self-life. Do you remember what God says in Exodus? Next portion, 32. No, Exodus 32. 
Verse 28 and 29. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourself today to the Lord that he may bestow you a blessing this day for every man has opposed his son and his brother. Why were the Levites set apart that day from the rest of the twelve? One reason, they put God first. When they put God first, it also meant on the, on the ground level putting God first meant opposing their own son and brother. That is their self-life. That is their self-life. They had to die. And for them it was a literal death. 3,000 died that day. It was flesh and blood, relatives. And God said, you know what? You can do that only if you put me first. If you don't put me first, this will not happen. And Jesus says the same thing. If anyone loves father, mother, wife, children, anybody more than me, you can't be a disciple. That's the problem with the church. For the past so many years, the church has been only creating followers and not disciples. Followers will leave. Disciples don't. Even when they leave in fear, they will be still huddled over there, looking, thinking about him. But once they receive the power, they will never leave. They are willing to die for him. So the commission given to the apostles is to make disciples of all nations, not followers. Followers will go this way and that way. The world is their church. The world is their church. They love the world. They love the church too. But the love for Christ is very emotional. There is nothing deep or concrete inside them. Which will cause a death to self-life. So the first division you will see here. We have to move from the outer courts into the holy place. God says, it's a death. It's a death. Outwardly, it will also involve more cleansing and a change of garments, if you know the law. You want to move from the outer courts, the Levites had to cleanse themselves and change their garments and then only go into the holy place. There is a death to self and there is Change outside and invite. But remember, from the Levites, only one person, and then through him, one family is chosen to enter the most holy of holies. Only one man, one family. Now there are 12 tribes, 11 is on this side, one is on this side. Of this one, this side, one family is set apart. Basically one man and then his sons get it as an inheritance which doesn't happen in the new covenant, okay? Remember Moses is a type of Christ. He's a type of Christ. Therefore he will walk in and out and talks to God and makes intercession for Israel because he's a type of Christ. Jesus has perfect permanent access to the Father and is forever making intercession for the church. Therefore Moses is a type of Christ. So who is the one who is chosen? It's Aaron who is chosen. Why is Aaron chosen? Is it because he's Moses' brother? No. Aaron is chosen. Look at the reason. Exodus chapter 4, 14 to 16. So in anger of the Lord, he says, he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he's also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I'll be your mouth. And with his mouth, I will teach you what you shall do. Aaron is the first one who comes to meet Moses. And he was glad to see Moses. Are you glad to see the law? He was the first one to come to meet Moses. Second thing. Look at it. Verse 30. 
He shall be a spokesman and Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses then he did the signs in the sight of the people now Aaron is the first one and continuously to speak to the people so he will also incur the wrath of the people he has to die to himself life do you want to please the people or incur the wrath of the people and then 5:1 Afterward Moses and Aaron went and told the Pharaoh thus says the Lord God of Israel let my people go Aaron has to be willing to incur the wrath of the Pharaoh therefore he is separated even from among the levites he has to die to his self life when it comes to the king he has to die to his self life when it comes to the people therefore he is set apart into the next level at every level there is a death every level there is a death and with both these groups israel and the pharaoh he was risking his own very life therefore he is the one who is chosen to enter into the holy of holies so you see and i see these patterns in the bible that's why i said if you do not understand the old testament we really won't understand the new testament if you know the simple thing in Luke chapter 24 verse 44 and 45 he said to them these are the words which i spoke to you while i was still with you he, that's the reason he spoke to them in parables one of the reasons he spoke to them in parables is so that people would not understand he is one teacher who taught in such a way that if you are not searching for god you should not understand the things of god he is one teacher who truly practice i will not throw pearls at swine if you really are not hungry for god i am not going to talk to you about the mysteries of god this is about a relationship this is not about a knowledge and he says i spoke to you while i was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of moses the prophets and the psalms concerning me and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures post resurrection what did they do he opened their understanding then they started reading scripture differently they understood from genesis onwards all the way till all the way till all the way till malachi okay not a single gospel has been written genesis 1 to malachi it is about him it's the person of jesus christ that is being revealed in acts chapter 2 words 42 they continued steadfastly in the apostles apostles doctrine where did they get their doctrine from genesis 1 to malachi not a single new covenant letter is written they are teaching them doctrine of christ from the old covenant because they understood the spirit of the law they understood this is christ who is hidden they were not teaching from like i am reading from corinthians and ephesians and galatians and romans no they taught from the old covenant and the people understood this is about christ ramba the parable about the sower do you know what jesus said in the parable according to sower in matthew 13 he who receives the seed on the good ground is one who hears the word and understands it if you don't understand we will not bear fruit that is the key the disciples could not bear fruit until they understood we all here 
all of us hurt but our understanding is limited until we progress in our understanding we will not bear fruit and how do people bear fruit according to their understanding some 100 some 60 some 30 so if you continue only producing in that level in each life that i produce 30 when i finished also i produce 30 god says love you son go to new earth where in new earth i produce 60 finish producing at the 60 level god says i love you very much my son go to new heaven i started at 30 progress to 60 finishes 100 he says well done my good and faithful servant enter into new jerusalem you understood what my life was all about It's simple it's very simple don't make it complicated that's why paul's prayer in first ephesians 1:8 in roman the ages when we heard we began our church always those who were in the old old days will know we always began with this how prayer is that that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his what is the hope of our calling oh lord when i die i want to go to heaven god says is that the hope of your calling Is that the hope of your calling? Or I want to thrive in this world. Is that the hope of your calling? Lord, I need... God says, did you understand the hope of your calling? There is first prize, second prize, and third prize. When you went to school, did the teacher say, just pass? If he's a good teacher, he will be after you, motivating. Remember, focus, focus, focus. And whom does he actually go after? He gives more attention to the weak ones and he's after the good ones. That's how we were as teachers. When they came with their mark sheets, the poor ones will come and say, "Sir, you see, I wrote this marks. You gave me only one. They have written only one fourth of the answer." He look at him and say, "Okay, I'll give you one more mark." The good student comes with the same paper and saying, "He says, you just go sit down there. I will cut your marks if you come back." But uh, sir, I wrote more than him. You gave him two. I gave him one. I gave you only one because you're good. Because I expected more from you. Therefore, I am cutting your marks so that it will teach you to work harder next time, because I expect more from you. That's why what God says to whom much is given, much is required. In Colossians one nine, Scripture says, "For this reason also, since the day we heard it, and do not cease to pray for you and to ask you that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that we may understand the knowledge of His." Well, what is it? The good, pleasing, perfect. Don't stay at the good. Move further into pleasing, and from pleasing to His perfect, that we will understand. For that He says, understanding, understanding. That's why we need more and more understanding. This is spiritual, okay? Not that the way they say in Indian railways when there are three people supposed to sit, six will come in and say, "Be understanding." we are not with the world also talks about understanding that's not spiritual understanding we have to move the problem often with all of us we went is that we didn't hear or teach these things and the church allowed the world in once the world has got in there is great resistance to the word of god from within i later learned all these things that i wish oh lord i was like peter only those who received the message one and two part one repent and believe in the lord jesus christ two 
be willing to be saved from this corrupt generation, only then will I baptize you. Otherwise, I am not baptizing you. Only those he baptized. And they gathered. We didn't realize anybody who came, we baptized. We didn't speak to them the message. And they did not gather steadfastly for the apostles' doctrine. All these are conditional. Just as Israel resisted the word of the living God, though they came out of Egypt, the church also resists the word of the living God. Therefore, we are not able to see actually the end of our salvation. And even our reading of scripture will be without understanding. You getting the picture? Why is that Jesus, who revealed everything to his disciples, everything to his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 15, he will say, he revealed. I no longer call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. Did he make all things known to them? Let me ask you this question. Though he made all things the father had taught him, to them, how could he, why did he never reveal to them the time of his second coming? One thing alone. In Matthew 24, 36, he himself says, of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. Why? Right? Now listen, after resurrection, okay, post Paul is journey further down the learning. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 to 4. I know a man, that's he himself, okay, in Christ, who 14 years ago, whether in the body, do I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. How he was caught up into paradise, and he heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Did he hear things which he was not allowed to speak out? But among the things which he heard, which he was not allowed to speak out, was not the second coming of Jesus Christ. He also did not know. He did not know. Because if you read his letters, he was thinking that he would also be taken and Jesus would come in his time. Why? Because this is connected with the race into which every generation enters. Every generation enters into the same race, so you cannot tell them the finish line. Everything else God will tell you. He will not tell you one thing when he will come, because you are running a race. No man knows. Nobody, not even the angels know. So every generation ran this race in the expectation that he would come in their time. That's the only way you will run. If I were to tell you he's not going to come in my generation, only your generation, then half this, my zeal is gone, right? I have to run with this expectation that he can come in my generation. And you have to come like one Christian sadhu has prophesied. He will come in 2067. Now it's only 2060. He's another 51 years old. If Will I live that long? I'll be 103 years old. So that's why God said, no day, don't set a time. Are you getting the picture? That is why theologians also believe, one set of theologians also believe in three resurrections. Pre-tribulation resurrection, post-tribulation resurrection, 
and post-millennial resurrection. And there is scripture to back all of this up. You may agree. We don't fight over eschatology. Leave it alone. Why is this important? Because it will entirely change our outlook towards life and the world when we understand these truths. Why is it that John in his first epistle will address the people in the church? Okay, John is writing his epistle. He is writing to the people in the church. He's not writing to Abigail and Emmanuel. Do you think he's writing to Abigail and Emmanuel? No. But he's writing to everybody in the church, basically those who can read and understand. But he calls them by three names. He calls them little children, chinna pillarara, okay, little, that's one thing I have understood in Telugu. Little children, young men, and fathers. They are all sitting over there. Nobody is a child there, but spiritually they are. Little children, young men, and fathers. Three terms used to address the church. The same church. He's not talking about Abigail and Emmanuel has little children and to Raj and Shrikar has young men and the older one has fathers. No, he's not. He's addressing the church. Has little children, young men, and fathers. What does it mean? Three levels of understanding. Three levels of understanding. Read. First John chapter 2, 12 to 14. I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven for your name. Say, what do little children know? I am forgiven. I am forgiven. When I sin, I go to my father and I am forgiven. That's all they know. Forgiveness, confession, repentance, forgiveness. Confession, repentance, forgiveness. Because forgiven for his name's sake. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the father. Come further down. I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. There's a difference. When it comes to fathers, he says, you have understood him from the beginning. Young men, he says, you know what? You are strong. You have fought, the word of God abides in you and you have fought the evil one. The little children, what do you know? Abba, thank you, forgive me. Let me put it ex- example, in an example we understand. Christmas is coming. What do little children come and ask me, Pastor, can I put up a star? I said, okay, put it. can I also have a tree? Yes. Okay, have a tree. Can I have a wreath? Okay, have a wreath. Okay. Young men will come and tell me, Pastor, I understood. I listened to 2014 and 13. Christmas is a sham. He was not born in December. And all these articles we use is not part of Christianity at all. I researched. I found. I realized this is all duplicates from the evil one. This Christmas is going to be different. I will have no Christmas tree. I will have no green, no holly, nothing at all. What is he? He is full and is overcome the evil one. What does the father say? To the child he will say, have it. To the young one he will say, Savash. He says, I can live with both. It doesn't matter. Me. Doesn't matter. These things don't matter. Hmm? That's what he's talking about. But this is just in one aspect of life. But we have to look at the f- other aspects of life. 
That's what scripture is talking about. Verse 13. Little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And verse 13. I write to you fathers. Okay. Uh, then. I write to you little children because you have known the How have you known the father? Give me, give me, give me. My name is. See, that's only the way they know their father. I know my father. No, you tell them, they will tell you, but I asked a God, I asked a God, I asked a God, I asked, that's all they know. Nothing else, I know you. Verse 18. Did I give you verse 18? Yeah. Little children, it is the last hour. As you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. What do we tell little children? Huh? What did I tell Madhulika last night? Go to sleep, police is coming. <laughs> she immediately jumped and clung to me. What is it that? Go to sleep? Because at that time when she passed, she jumped. Okay, what is coming? Police is coming. What do we tell the children? Little children. Antichrist is coming. Verse 28. Now little children, abide in him. Stay, stay, okay? Attend church, please. Don't miss church. Come for the meetings. Even if you don't understand, doesn't matter. Please come. Please come. Stay, stay, okay? Stay, stay, stay. And next one. Hmm? Little children, let no one deceive you, okay? When you go out, if anybody tries to give you chocolate or something, say no. Daddy said no. Though you like chocolate, don't take it. Don't let anybody fool you. And then final advice, little children, keep away from idols. What more can you tell little children? How do we receive the message as? How do we receive? Young men, 2.13. Because you have overcome the wicked one, iron. Okay, young men, because you have overcome the, they have gone one stage higher. They are into spiritual battle now. And 2.14. Young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. These are the 64 relapse. They have learned to use the word of God. They have learned to use the word of God. And Peter will talk about them. I don't know whether I gave it to you in First Peter, Second Peter chapter 1 verses 3 to 4. Peter will say, Second Peter chapter 1, okay, verses not 5 but uh, verses... Uh, Three to four. Three and four. Yeah? As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue by which I have been given, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. They have learned to use the word of God and the promises in the word of God to fight the evil one and overcome the world. But Peter goes beyond that. In verse 5 onwards, he go to the next stage. But also for this very reason, he says, okay, young men, you have overcome the evil one. That's not enough. Go further. Giving all diligence, this faith by which you overcome the world, add virtue. Virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, love. 
For if these things are yours, not only and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have known him from the beginning. Come further down, verse 11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly to the everlasting kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. A rich welcome. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Eyes haven't seen, no ears heard. That's not what scripture actually says. Read scripture carefully. First Corinthians chapter 2, 9 and 10. Did I give it? I has not seen, no ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. It's not that it is hidden. It is revealed only through the spirit. Is it revealed? Only those who love him. Only those who love him. So, those who love him see the reward of their race differently. Look at how Paul looks at the reward of his race in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. I am jealous for you as a godly jealousy for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. What is your reward? It's not a place. It is a person. Philippians 3.8 Oh, no, no. 3.8, I'm sorry. 3.8. 3.8. Did I write 2? Indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. He was not running for anything else. He was running to gain Christ. To win Christ. That is what God says. He says you may finish your race and know him as father at the end. You may finish your race and know Christ as a friend at the end. You read the letter of John carefully. Little children, dear friends, fathers. You may finish your race and know him as your bridegroom or your husband at the end. Paul suffered and lost all things with that one hope. From the beginning, what do you want me to do? Till the end, that he could gain Christ at the end of his race. That's what he says in Romans 8, 16 and 17. Romans. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we also may be glorified with him. Can you get children to suffer with him? Can you get young men to suffer beyond a point? If I know him only as a child, scripture tells in Galatians 4 and verse 2. If you are a child, you are an heir, but you are under guardianship and stewardship until the time appointed by the father. What does the actual verse is? It's... What does it mean? It means, yeah, verse 1 actually, 4-1. 
What does 4.1 say? Galatians 4.1 If we are children, we are heirs. Join heirs with Christ. If we suffer with him, we will reign with him. Verse 1. Now I say that the heir, every child is an heir. As long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. Does he inherit? No. Why doesn't he inherit? Isn't it his? Yes. But why can't he inherit? Because he never grew up. If I am only grown up as a friend, the young men are called friends by John. As a friend, then what is my destiny? It's good to know him as a friend. It's excellent. John chapter 2 and verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. What is it? At the end, what will you be? You will be the best man. You are the bridegroom's friend. Excellent. Better than a child. You may be a flower girl or you may be a best man. And then, Revelation 21 verse 2 says, Then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And then, there is the bride. So don't get confused like people do when you hear the terms child, young men, fathers, bride. How can they all be one? Yes, it can be. Can be born as a child. And become a young man, finish as a father, and be counted as a bride. At every step, there is a cost. There is a price. That's why scripture says, faith, hope, and charity. Of this, the greatest is love. Because the strength of love, it is stronger than death. When a man or a woman loves God with all his heart, all his might, all his strength, There is no limit he sets to sacrifice. Churches, many, let's let's say, many Christians around the city will gather on Sunday. That's a sacrifice because many Christians don't go to church on Sundays. So that's a sacrifice compared to them. You have come on a Wednesday night. So compared to those who are sitting at home, you have made a greater sacrifice. But what about in those countries where you are not even allowed to meet? I won't mention the name because those countries should not know how it happens. That's one particular country which is worse than the Muslim nations where persecution, where the government watches everyone, everyone. You cannot even have a prayer service in your own home because if there is one child who is not a believer, will report to the government. So you have to be very careful how you pray, how you worship, how you fellowship. You know, in Sunday, how they will fellowship? They have churches, government churches, where believers don't go. It's a government church. Meant for the government Christians. Okay? If you go and sit in a park and you're sitting alone, another believer will watch you for some time, then he will come and sit next to you. They don't have Bibles. He will tell him a scripture he has memorized. He tells him a scripture he has memorized. Quietly, they have received the word from each other. Get up and go. They are different ways. How much are we willing to fellowship? That's how they fellowship. Knowing that if they are caught, it is either death or sent to the camp for re-education. 
Now I will question you will say, but we don't go through that really. Stand up for Christ and see what he will go through in any nation. We have set limits. Therefore we don't suffer much in any nation on the earth. If you truly stand up for Christ, it will come. And Jesus knows who his bride is. He knows who the children are. But he is telling the children, grow up. Grow up. Be separated. Be separated. Don't love the world. Don't love the things of this world. Yes, all are saved. Israel was saved out of Egypt. Then one man alone at the end of it was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies. Types. That's why scripture says in the book of Romans, all of creation is groaning to know who the sons of God are. Don't they know all the believers? No, They know. But they don't know who are the sons of God. In terms of the bride, nobody knows. Only Christ knows. Only the Father knows. So we are in this race. Never ever think the world is your friend. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the world. and The things of the world, they are not your friends. They are our enemies. They snare us from that race, from that price. The ways of the world, the things of the world, we think and we react in the ways of the world. God says no. God says no. The flesh is not your friend, it's your enemy. The devil is definitely not your friend, he's your enemy. Run this race, don't give up. Don't give up. Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. As you continue to exhort us to get back onto the race. If somebody did not know there was a race in the first place, I pray, Lord, there would be an opening of eyes. If there is somebody who has stepped away from the race course, I pray they will step back. But Father, I pray this season. Help us to love you with all our heart, Lord. Help us, Lord. Because nothing else, not even the baptism of fire, which will cleanse us, purge us from the flesh and the world, will help us to finish this race. It is only that baptism of love. Love for you. Love for you. To truly love you more than anything or anybody. As you sanctified yourself for your disciples, help us to sanctify ourselves for your sake, for your sake, for you. Help us, Lord. Help us. We are tired of hearing you talk to us as children. You need to talk to us as a friend. To those who have heard of you as a friend, longing to hear from you as a father, as an adult, so that we can be a father. Moses was faithful as a servant, but Jesus was faithful as a son. What you demand from us is much more than he demanded from Moses. Help us to learn of you, Lord. That this life is nothing. This suffering is nothing. 
Spaul's called it the momentary affliction in the light of the weight of glory that is waiting. The glory of the bride. When the father will command on that day and ask all the universe in that ceremony all rise. And the whole eyes of the new heaven and the new earth will be fixed on the bride of Christ. And they will know from the ages, 2000 years, the people who had lived and died for your glory. Then the world will know who is the bride. Pray, Father, it is by no accident we are here tonight. It's no accident you saved us. It was for a purpose. That the son would have a bride. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Help us to read and meditate upon your word with a different understanding. Different understanding. Help us to see you revealed through scriptures. And help us, like Saul of Tarsus, to bend our bow, our knees before the Christ. Revealed through the scriptures by the Spirit. And ask daily, what will you have me do? Thank you, Father. You brought us safely. And I pray, Father, you reach us all back home safely. Thank you. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.